Okay, so it's time for another uh, another episode. It is. We keep the log rolling here. Indeed. Better. Where do we even start? It's been a wild summer with absolutely no releases, no content, nothing really exciting for Thousand yeah. Suns. And then, so we're just sitting here watching everybody else get their stuff, right? Yeah, and boy, how did they get some stuff? So, so where do you where do you think we should start? I mean, I'd just say pick a point and uh, we can start there. So I remember the last time what we wanted to do one of these is like, okay, yeah, these new mission backs came out. But honestly, having read through that thing, it's mostly just boring. Uh, It's a bunch of bespoke missions uh, with bespoke terrain that is useful, but not really interesting. I think the thing that everyone wants us to talk about is the uh, Great Cloud that hovers above all of our heads, this marine thing that's been plaguing us for so long. Uh, and they got a new codex. And, uh, well, and talk, it's, talking with you earlier, it sounded like you've had a chance to read through it quite a bit. Yep. And I'm in a position where I haven't. I've basically kind of spot read some stuff like on the Goonhammer sites and. You know, basically all the sites that do a great job of breaking down you know, everything that's coming out and all the new stuff. And now that with the books are officially out, uh, I guess it would be a good chance for me to just ask you a bunch of dumb questions uh, from the standpoint of I don't have the book and I have no idea what's in it. So I went out and I bought both of the codexes because the Marines, not only they got their codex, but Necrons, bless them, are the Xeno skinny pig. Um, I did not get much of a chance to look through their book, sadly. The Codex Space Marines is almost as thick as the core rulebook. The hardback one, not the uh, little... Yeah, we can't have the Space Marines not have enough rules for every little thing possible, right? Yep. So, um, I guess this is my, my takeaway from reading this is they, much like the change from 8th to 9th, where they changed a lot of things that I personally thought sort of breathed new life into the game. They removed a lot of the sort of very good tactical things that an experienced player could do that felt bad to have done to you from the game. Uh, So the new Codex did much the same thing. Uh, They there actually weren't very many points tweaks um, what with the Munitorum field guide having just been released not a few months ago uh, that I don't see that I think that I saw much point. Um, and of course the, <clears throat> they, they obviously had an idea of what was going to be releasing. Um, however, this is uh, seems to be a recurring trend between the space Marines codex and the Necrons codex is they removed a lot of the sort of things that annoyed people. Uh, so, for instance, uh, one of the big things uh, looking at the points increases between the field manual and the new codex is any unit that allowed you to regain wounds or bring models back has had their points cranked up by at least 20%. So, like, the Tech Marine went from went up by 75%. Uh, from the uh, field manual, the apothecary went up mm-hmm. by 36%. Um, so it's big changes. Um, and it seems to me like they're trying to remove 
some of the sort of staying power of an army. That way it's, it's actually possible to whittle down an army over time. Um, <clears throat> but the other big thing that they did is the they have completely changed how points are calculated now. So this is one of the really nice things as a sort of a almost a whole, uh, takes you back to the early editions where the core cost of the model accounts for their basic weaponry. So for instance, if you take a look at um, a captain, uh, in 8th edition, you would have to go through, okay, well, the captain has the mastercrafted bolt uh, power sword, he has his bolt pistol, he has the his um, iron halo, and you have to look up each of those individual pieces. Some of them might cost points, some of them might not, and it tripped up a lot of people, and it's very inconvenient to find those things. Um, here, it's effectively the only time you have to worry about how much does my war gear cost is if those default options cost more than the base loadout. Um, and so you actually, there are a couple of units on here that literally just library and Phobos armor. It's 100 points. It will always be 100 points um, because the that model is bespoke. Uh, the other thing I like about this book is it rolls in every non-Grey Knight Loyalist Marine army into a single book. Uh, effectively, if you want to play any of the Loyalist Space Marines, Ultramarines, Blood Angels, Dark Angels, uh, uh, Crimson Fizz, Black Templar, any of those, you buy this book. And then at the moment, they don't have physical copies of the new versions of the supplements. However, those are all available for free at the moment online as supplements through the Warhammer community site. Uh, and so that means that it's much easier to sort of see what everyone is getting. And whenever they update anything for one army, they no longer have to release seven different FAQs to cover everyone. It's just they FAQ'd Space Marines book. So they all they all share the same book, and that's similar yeah. to what we had back in eighth edition when they had the original Space Marine Codex. They all they all pretty much shared the same core book and the same core models, and then they printed individual supplements for every every chapter that they had. So Except for say Blood Angels, Dark Angels, Space Wolves, right? and Dark Angels, yeah. right? So, so my reading at night that they're all rolled into the same book now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so the the thing about the the book is that it does not include chapter specific units. Those units will be included in the supplements. So, for instance, um, Deathwing Knights aren't featured here. Mm -hmm. uh, Gilliman is not in this book, um, and so. To get the full rules for a first founding army or any of the sort of supported um, Space Marine chapters, you'll need the supplement to supplement this book, um, which again I, I think works perfectly fine. They're not I, don't seem to be punishing people for um, having played a first founding mm -hmm. chapter because they really just the updated supplement for free, like I said. So um, basically, seems like they they're moving to more of. So what you were saying is they're free, so they're moving to more of like a digital format now. Where at least for now, to sort of get right? get the ball rolling. I'm not sure if at a later date they'll release a version of like a, a hard copy version, um, but at least for the time being, we have the free supplements, which is a nice move on their part. Um, yeah. 
the uh, other th- big thing uh, that I was really excited for is uh, all of the classic marine models, tactical marines, all, um, their vehicles, all of that sort of got a new lease on life in this codex. Uh, tacticals and their various variants, devastators, whatever, uh, all have two wounds now. Um, and so that came with a point increase. Uh, it seems like all of the classic marine models are went up by three points apiece. But um, they also got something else out of here. So the well, one thing that's very interesting to me is the design uh, that they sort of went with for the art, these new two, both of the codexes. So you know how um, in previous codexes you'd have a like war gear options of like, well, I'm going to give this specific squad a melt bomb. This vi- vehicle has this specific upgrade. Well, a lot of those upgrades are now tied to strategy, like one CP stratagems that go with keywords on those units. So now let's say that, okay, I'm up against knights. I brought an army of tactical Marines. I didn't put melt bombs on them because who buys melt bombs really? Um, well now for one CP, your tactical Marine can like get supplied with the melt bomb so you can melt a bomb tonight. And so, uh, things like smoke launchers, melta bombs, the assault launchers off of like the Land Raider Crusader or the Ironclad Dreadnought, all of those things are now t- t- just special keywords that allow you to do special units if it comes up, as opposed to forcing you to pay for something that you may never use. Yeah, so it seems like it, if I'm following right, the the rules are getting rolled more and more. They're, they're like becoming more bespoke. So there's never, it seems like they're moving towards the idea that I have, say, the Phobos librarian. He costs mm-hmm. 100 points, right? And this is what you get. And you could change maybe and say, uh, in the future, he has weapon X or weapon Y, but he's always going to cost the same based on either one that you take. Uh, yeah. And it seems like what that does and I hadn't really thought about this, but what it does is it's it's accounting for the fact that, say, a combi plasma is, is say, five points, all right? We'll say, for hypothetical reasons, it's five points. It well, is actually like, five points. Well, okay. So for putting that combi plasma in the hands of, say, a tactical marine on a three-up is different than putting it in the hands of a captain on a two-plus with a reroll. Right, so you mm-hmm. have you have a completely different value, even though the models. I mean, I, I get it. You're you're p- spending the points for the captain's cost of what the model is, but that weapon in those two uh, units' hands is still the same cost, even though its effectiveness is way more on the other model. And what this does is it accounts for that because you no longer are saying, okay, that point cost is different. Well, not in every case, but you're. Their point costs are starting to merge more with their with their weapons and what they are, so yeah. they make it more bespoke for that unit. So these out of control, crazy combos become a little less prevalent. Yeah. Um, the other thing on the topic of crazy combos that they did is they've very much tamped down on the number of rerolls that you can get. So the two. Big examples, of course, being the lieutenant and the captain and the chapter master upgrade for the captain. So the captain and the lieutenant's rerolls now only apply to core units. Um, so core units refers to anything that 
is not a HQ that is infantry for the most part. Uh, so for in, or and bikes and bikes. Uh, so you no longer have dreadnoughts benefiting from rerolls or repulsors, things like that. Uh, and then the the uh, chapter master upgrade, which is now no longer a stratagem. Instead, it's a upgrade you buy for the captain character at list creation uh, is also much more limited. Uh, instead of being just a every, it replaces the reroll aura with a reroll all hits. It is a, um, you pick a unit within uh, six inches and that a specific unit can reroll a specific core or character unit. So again, he can't upgrade any vehicles. Um, he can do characters, so he can target himself, but uh, that, that's the extent of it. And so that stuff they released in addition to that, a list of core models. And my um, kind of jumping to that, my my whole beef with this thing has been that, well, you know, at the end of the day, what's what I think is going to happen is you're just going to have Space Marine armies be nothing but core models. Like that's all the armies are going to be made up for because there there really isn't going to be anything it's not going to synergize with the rest of your army at all because you won't be able to apply that kind of stuff there. And so then it's just a matter of, well, you know, with space Marines, they have all these core options. And if they carry this forward into other armies that don't have as many options, it means you're taking armies that didn't have that many options to begin with and then whittling that down even more. So take thousand sons, for example, if they were to say, okay, your core units are rubric Marines, Scarab occult terminators, have a good day. You know, you're you're basically like, well, I guess my whole army needs to be Scarab Occult Terminators and Rubric Marines, because otherwise anything that targets a core unit is useless. So I think that's true to a degree. Um, however, one thing that we can keep in mind is that the number of HQs we'll be effectively bringing has also gone down um, with the changes to the Supreme Command Detachment. And the fact that you now are no longer super incentivized to just take as many battalions or brigades as you could possibly take, uh, you won't necessarily always be in a position where you can leverage, like, get total coverage of rerolls for your entire army. Um, and so the other side of that is that a lot of these vehicle units, um, with the exception of the repulsor and the uh, uh, gladiator, I think is the what the other one is called, um, have been somewhat buffed in a lot of ways um, with their ability to shoot in combat and not necessarily need as much support enough that they can benefit from it. And if you just take nothing but core, I think you'll wind up being sort of hamstrung in that you won't have all the tools to efficiently take down uh, every target because you can only bring so many devastators and well devastators aren't exactly known for being super durable yeah that's true and i guess maybe that's a good segue into the chaos space marine stuff because with this update coming out one of the things we saw is that they went through and basically applied all of the at least the weapon updates mm -hmm. that are in line with the shared um shared profiles that they've updated now and released in, in Codex Space Marines. But what I'm noticing is disappointing is that, okay, those Space Marine 
uh, units are going to get their wound increases, but on the chaos side, they don't get it yet. And they basically, it yeah. doesn't look like they're going to get it until the codex is out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is kind of my, my second beef with what's going on right now is just the fact that, well, there's no fair footing here until you get your codex, which means the game, from a chaos standpoint at least, is unplayable, in my opinion, until you get your codex and you can stand on two feet when you know these things are going to change. So I, I do think there is a bit of an uphill battle there. Um, the The changes have been reflected in points um, and the way that the space Marine army is going to play, was going to be much different than the way the chaos counterparts will, will be forced to play. Um, Possibly space Marines having to leg up here, but the big thing is we can sort of look at what they did here and see that I, what will likely happen with chaos as a whole. So I expect that chaos will receive similar treatment eventually. Yep. Now, I, I, I wonder, I, I doubt we'll get the same uh, unit treatment. Uh, Space Marines did get 21 new kits or well, units. Uh, some of these are multi kits uh, with this new release since uh, the field manual was printed. But uh, I, it's pretty ridiculous. It, it it is pretty ridiculous. Though Necron's also got similar treatment, so not the, and that I'm extreme, okay with. But that I'm yeah. okay with. Like Necron's needed it, and I don't think anybody else is really going to have. All, uh, yeah, unless um, you just really hate Necrons. I mean, it, it's hard to say that they didn't get what they deserve. Like they yeah. they should have that kind of you know filled out detail, and I think that's the kind of thing everybody wants for all their armies. But yeah. Yeah, um, chaos, chaos, obviously, and and I would even say craft world are are kind of in a similar similar mm-hmm. spot where they've got tons of stuff, and they're kind of like, you know, hey, are you going to eventually get to us? Have you forgot about us? Yeah. So the the one the one thing that I, looking at this book does I actually really like is that they definitely paid attention to last edition and what was winning, and they hit that junk with a nerf <laughs> bat so hard. Uh, so uh, under hammers. <laughs> oh no, no. So this is actually pretty funny. Uh, so I was reading through this like, and I was got to the end of the troop section. Like, wait, where are scouts? And so I flipped the next oh, yeah. page. Scouts are now an elite choice. Yep. Uh, so Which is good. that's good. But, I, I mean, it's, it's it's a change. It brings them in line with space wolves. I, I'm not bothered by. It. It's just like, ha, well, that's a thing. Um, but like, well, so like for it. instance. I like it though, like in a Raven Guard army, if you think about it. it yeah, used, yeah. Most Raven Guard lists would have tons of snipers, right? Because that's what they do. Yeah. But it doesn't stop you from doing that still. You just you have to take them in an elite spot, not a. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, the rule of three hits them once they become elites. That's right. But you can combat squads, so technically you can still bring six squads of five man scouts. You just have to go about it a little differently. Yep. Uh, but uh, the aggressors got hit with a nerf bat. They can no longer shoot twice. Um, yeah. Uh, and didn't it wasn't there something I read about them not being able to advance and shoot now without penalties? Uh, yeah, the, pretty much the aggressor's entry is just nothing. Like, here's your weapons. And that's it. And that's it. Yep. Uh, the other big thing is all of the heavy hover tanks are no longer flyers. So they can't fly over intervening models or terrain. So they just hover. They don't fly. 
Yeah, so they have the hover tank rule, so you measure to their ba- to the hole, not the base, mm-hmm. but they don't fly over things. They just they are effectively ground bound. Now that's going to be interesting because do they does GW then? And they haven't really proven to be consistent in the past here, but are, do they remain consistent with that moving forward? For say, craft world, like maybe jet bikes. Fairly enough, are fly, but on the flip side, do Falcon Grav tanks? So hover tank rule, right? Uh, the two types of land speeders, the old style ones and the new ones, they retain fly. Um, so I sense. expect that Craft World tanks will retain the fly keyword because tra- they've traditionally been classified as flyers. You literally used to be able to take them as a flyer wing in Apocalypse. Seals hilarious. Um, <laughs> And so I expect that well, they that will. Doesn't, okay, but, look, uh, because we but, got it wrong three editions ago, uh-huh. doesn't mean that for three editions doesn't mean we need to keep repeating hey, the same mistake. That was five editions ago, sir. Just... I mean, that's not doing <laughs> any justice here. For um, <laughs> so I expect that the um, they'll be reevaluating who has fly. Because, and the thing is, fly isn't actually as good as it used to be. So in eighth edition, if you had fly... Not only did you ignore terrain, but you could fall back and shoot. Now it's just ignoring terrain and intervening models. Um, you can't fall back and shoot anymore, which I actually didn't even notice until this codex. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, if you think about discs of Zinch, yeah, that gets interesting because that's going to apply more. Uh, I mean, you'll you'll obviously have the Zinch demons that have that, but obviously with. Um, Thousand Suns and even some of the Chaos units that can do that. It they've been these odd things like the Palanquin, the what is it, the the corn dog that you can the ride. Juggernaut. Yeah, so all of the the equivalent quote unquote fly units that Chaos gets, all of them. It, there's been cases where you, if it was cheap enough, you're like, you know what, I'll take it. And with Thousand Suns, it was kind of a nice thing to take because okay, I can get to where I need to cast my spell. And I can pretty much just get a huge amount of coverage on the board with buffing things, targeting things with psychic powers, that kind of thing. But when you looked at, like on paper, when you looked at the cost you paid for that disc, it was always kind of like, man, that's a lot I'm paying for that. And what I saw in most people who play competitively is they would move away from that eventually. Um, Most competitive lists would be able to think ahead far enough so that the disc you could factor the disc out of your strategy and out of the way you played. And it always made me kind of feel like, well, those discs need to have something that makes them a little bit better. Maybe with mm-hmm. the, maybe with the, the new rules, maybe we start seeing them say, well, you know, a disc can make you fall back and shoot or a disc has some kind of extra ability or something like that versus maybe jet bikes that, you know, they, they get to adv- auto advance 12 or whatever it is. Yeah. So I expect the disc, whenever it does get its update, will just be a 25-point upgrade that increases your movement and lets you fly. Um, that's in line with what they've done with the Librarian uh, in this codex. Does that mean you'd, you'd expect a point reduction with that in terms of what the disc, the all-in disc cost would be versus uh, what yeah. it is today? I mean, uh, that's what I would expect. That, that, mechanically, the disc isn't different enough from the uh, just a normal jump pack to really justify the additional cost. Yeah, like if it's something that can take a thunder hammer, I get it. Like the yeah. the point cost 
should be scaled accordingly. But yeah. for something that is like, I've got a four staff, great. Mm -hmm. you know, well, now we're talking about a four staff being pretty, pretty much almost in line with like a thunder hammer in terms of yeah. damage, you know? So aside from the, the D3, but Aramon has the flat three. Sorry, I think of it from Aramon's staff. He has the, the, the flat three damage four staff, essentially. Um, which, I mean, we can talk about that real quick and that the force weapons, they've altered a little bit and that is going to yes. apply to Thousand Suns. So things like your power swords are now plus one strength. Other than that, they're mm -hmm. not changed. Um, but your force staff is now instead of plus two strength, that's plus three strength, right? And mm -hmm. still minus one AP and D3 damage. And then in between there, you have your, I think your force axe, which is plus one or two strength. Uh, and... Just slightly, here it is. Yeah, so plus three, minus two. So you get a little bit better AP and D3 damage. So maybe we start taking force axes on a bunch of our stuff just because of its you know, ability to be a nice middle-of-the-road kind of option. Yeah, now the main sort of chewing point there is, though, is that Games Workshop is very much going for, like, if we don't make a model for it, you don't get it. And so at the moment, yeah. they limit us to just four stabs, if I understand correctly. Yeah, well, that, that is a good thing, a good point, because force axes, they exist. We have them as options today, right, on, like, mm -hmm. our regular sorcerers, uh, or I think even on our, like, our uh, aspiring sorcerers and um, the Scarabacol. I, I think they have the option to do that. But at least the Terminator sorcerer and the regular sorcerer, I'm like 98% sure not having the codex. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that the, those two have it, but I, I don't think that the aspiring sorcerer does. I think that they gave him just the staff because that's all yeah. he's modeled with. But I mean, to be fair, they don't have yeah. the plasma pistol either. And the plasma pistol isn't included in the Thousand Suns Rubric Marine sprue from last mm -hmm. I remember, but he can take a plasma pistol. So, I mean, there's a varying degree here of leniency yeah. with the modeling, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not like it'd be difficult to model uh, one of these guys with the forced yep. axe or whatever we want if it called upon to do so. Yep. Um, let's see. The other thing that they uh, I'd actually really like. So you know, last edition, whenever we would go like play the tournament, you always saw the same stratagems being applied to the same units the same way every single time. So like with Dreadnought, yeah. you'd always get the minus one damage thing. So a lot of those rules have just been baked into their target units. So like, for instance, all Dreadnoughts now have Duty Eternal. So they subtract oh, one from the damage characteristic of any attack minimum of one of any target, uh, anything that hits them. So their Dreadnoughts are a lot more durable now than they used to. Also, they are core. So Of course. I, I somehow of missed course. that one. Yeah. So, um, well, and you can be certain, here, guys. You can be certain they're not going to give that to Hellbrutes. So let's slow down. Let's you know. Let's be careful here because we can't have chaos having something on equal footing with regular Space Marines. So interesting to note: the Invictor war, Tactical War Suit is not a core unit. So I would have expected it to be, considering it's Dreadnought esque. Yeah, I can I, I can understand that not being a core unit. Yeah. Although the the funny thing is, is it, what sucks about core units is that. It, in different armies, core units are going to be different, right? Yeah, yeah. I would exactly. imagine, like, in Raven Guard, those Invictors would be probably core because of their ability to infiltrate. Yeah. 
Uh, it's entirely possible. <clears throat> but um, they have adjusted stratagems uh, to sort of focus in on like this unit has this purpose. So, like for the you know um, the stratagem they had for three CP, they could have any unit like fight again. So now, is that just? So now it only targets the um, uh, assault intercessor squads. So, but they it Ooh. only costs two CP. So they brought it in line with, like, for instance, the Zangor yeah. uh, stratagem. And when I was looking at the Necron Codex, uh, they have the same thing, where it's like these units can fight twice um, for two CP as opposed to any. That other. makes sense. That makes, and I like that because it gets rid of. <clears throat> And, and I hope they do kind of the same thing on the chaos side too, because it yeah. gets rid of a lot of open-endedness on things. Like I, I think from from what I'm hearing, it's good, and that they're getting a little bit more specific with their wording, their rules clarification on it. So it's not this vague like, well, as long as you have this keyword, you can do it. And then they forgot, oh yeah, we gave that keyword to like 300 different units, and they can all do it, right? Like the corn fight again thing from. You know, chaos space marines just pretty much give something a give something a keyword, and all of a, and as long as it's infantry, it can fight twice. That's kind of yeah. I'm not sure that was the original intent. Very much trying to sort of refine exactly what each of these stratagems is meant to be used for. Um, and so, like a, a lot of the stratagems are like that. So, like the rapid fire, where you can shoot twice, it only targets intercessors or veteran intercessors. Yeah. Um, but uh, so the other thing I think the people are going to get mad about. Uh, something I was <laughs> thinking about, like David's going to hate this. Uh, so the relic of the chapter and hero of the chapter, the ability to take an extra relic or an extra warlord, uh, that only applies. You can only do, use those stratagems if your warlord is of, from the Adeptus Astartes in this case, or if we were um, doing. Chaos, it'd only be for if you're like a chaos based brain or a thousand sun. Um, so it's you're no longer able to splash a warlord trait or a relic from a different army if you want to, which I think oh, is actually, probably I'm targeted okay at the, with that. Yeah, I imagine it's targeted at the loyal 32 style support detachments. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I can see where you'd be, you'd be saying I might be frustrated with that, but I'm. Maybe surprisingly, I'm okay with that because I look at it more like I I want to see the army play the way the army should be played. Um, mm. You know, like in my opinion, the way I want to see armies played are more mono, they're, they're more yeah. in the flavor of like I'm playing Thousand Suns, so here's my Thousand Suns army. I don't mm-hmm. mind seeing armies where it's like, hey, I'm playing Zinch. It's a mix of Thousand Suns and Zinch demons, or um, Scourged and Zinch demons, and so on. Like that. To me, that's kind of the flavor I want to see. A mixed Chaos Space Marine army where it's just like a ragtag of Renegades. Okay, but use the Renegades rules across all of them, not kind of like, a, well, here's a here's an Outrider of Thousand Suns, and here's a, uh, you know, like a heavy detachment of Black Legion, and it's all Obliterators, that kind of thing. And it's kind of like, we brought the best of what we could find, and, you know, this is our fighting force. It's kind of like, this yeah. is just would never exist. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, they, they, I actually, I, I like it. I agree. I like those, the, the sort of the refinement there. Um, and 
I don't know. Overall, I think that the they've done a good job with the these both of these codexes. Uh, the one thing I, I sort of I, I have a bit of a beef, I suppose, is they still very much are pushing you towards running a. I, I don't know what the right word is here. The pre-approved chapters. Um, yeah, it's not as bad in the Space Marine book, but. Uh, for Necrons, if you're not running one of the like uh, pre-approved dynasties, you're sort of hamstringing yourself because you don't get all of the bonuses. Now, the benefit, of course, is like last edition, that you get to cherry pick exactly what your abilities are, um, and so it's sort of a, it's going to be a balancing act. I'm sure there are a couple of viable sort of mm-hmm. combinations will come out of it. But I, I think that the overall, it's will generally behoove you a little better to run with the sort of name brand chapters or dynasties. So before we move on here, let's just take an overall check of this. Are you happy with what you're seeing with Space Marine? I am. Uh, so for me, looking at this to borrow a term from a different catastrophe, they flattened the curve. Uh, they took all of the extremely powerful units and they sort of brought them down to a baseline and they took all of the units that no one ever took that were lagging behind and brought them up to whatever that baseline was and then took the units that while on paper weren't bad uh led to some shenanigans and sort of adjusted them accordingly mostly referring to again the Apothecaries, tech marines, and adjustments to the chapter master. So they took the they took the nerf bat to the things you wanted them to take the nerf bat to without getting out of control. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a good summation of it. Okay, so question two is: Do you think they have the same type of restraint with other armies? So that is a question. So one of the things that's working out well for them is because the release schedule is so compact at the moment we're getting a whole bunch of releases all at once like again we've got 21 new units in this codex we have lord knows how many of the necrons codex and they're able to really just sort of get everything out there in one big it feels like at least push um now once things start getting back into the swing of thing people are playing and getting out sort of seeing how things play in the real world I, I think that we, some of the codexes need more help than others. And for instance, model lines need updating, things like that. Uh, and so, uh, at least from the codex itself, I think that as long as they main, I think they can definitely maintain this level of forethought in how they've seemed to have tried to structure everything. Yeah and making it, one, easy to read, mostly, uh, and yeah. two, making things sort of, everything seems like it'll at least be viable on paper. Uh, I think they can definitely achieve that as long as they don't let some, like, Matt Wardian shenanigans go on, where it's like, <laughs> I'm going to make Grey Knights the best thing ever, or something silly like that happen again. Um, the big thing is... Uh, They've made such a huge impact with the new releases for these two armies. I hope that they can maintain a similar level of 
sort of momentum with the rest. And that'll be hard, of course, because yeah. like we, we talked about these model ranges, like some of them haven't been updated in a long time. Uh, and they would need to do a lot to bring them up to this standard. Do you think they're going to balance everybody else relative to Space Marines? I think so. Uh, Space Marines traditionally have always been a Space Marine army has always been the first codex released. Um, and they're usually the codex that is used as the reference point for every following codex. That's why in most editions, the first Space Marine Codex to get released is usually the, the worst one, uh, because every every Space Marine Codex afterwards, well, we're that, but we get all these other new things. So in this case, because they rolled all the Space Marines out at once, we won't see that, but we could see cases of, well, we want to really spice up this new Chaos release, so we're going to give you all the things Space Marines got, plus all these things. Yeah, so does that mean we're 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 doomed to repeat the past here where, you know, like in 8th edition, mm-hmm. you could have looked at Space Marines and said, well, you know, that they looked really good coming out of the gates and then everybody else started getting stuff and it was just this long-running power creep through the rest of 8th edition where, you know, if you were towards the end of it, you got, you know, really good stuff. It was kind of like the peak. It was kind mm-hmm. of like Dark Eldar were the peak of the insanity of the rules creep there where they just got everything that was amazingly good and they they still even to this day can still stand on those rules because they were so good and then from there they kind of realized all right maybe that was a little too good and then it was kind of like whoever did that rules or did did the dark eller rules kind of (laughs) did the space marine rules and just was like well you know if you thought that was that was bad watch this you know yeah exactly and i I kind of look at this and I'm kind of wondering I on one hand I see good things. I see the fact that they're reining in the stuff that they screwed up. They're fixing what what they messed up and that's good. Do I see enough that proves to me that they're, they're not going to keep abusing us here in the, in the future where they just keep releasing these codexes where it's like creep after creep after creep? You know, I guess I guess I have to be the, the you know I have to kind of assume that hey we're going to be okay they'll eventually get to us and everything will be all right but you know my past tells me that when the Thousand Suns Codex rolls out I don't we might get some of the stuff we're asking for like the psychic dreadnoughts or psychic hellbrutes and things like that but you know if I set myself up and say hey I expect those things to come out I might be setting myself up for disappointment and I might be. I might be better off looking at this like, hey, you know what? We're probably just going to get a patch, some updated stratagems. They'll keep things mostly the same, maybe a slightly tweaked Legion trait, and we'll go on from there. Yeah. So just looking at what they've done here, um, I expect that they'll do a return to earlier editions of Chaos Space Marines. Uh, where they'll roll everyone back into a single codex mm-hmm. with sort of these are your core units and then put out a supplement for if you're playing Thousand Suns, you get these extra things. Uh, because again, that makes it much easier for them to update everything. Um, and it also gives us a better baseline to be compared to other Chaos Armies. 
And, and you know, as a structure, I'm okay with that. That's yeah. that's fine. What's really important is what's in that supplement. Yeah. Like if they just half-ass and it's like, well, here's just a bare minimum of what you need to get by. Guys, we're like five years almost from when Magnus came out. We're beyond like getting by. It's time to really get serious about this and start, you know, let's roll this army out and let's roll, you know, corn world eaters out. Let's roll Emperor's children out. Let's like, let's put chaos on a solid footing and let the people who love these armies put them on the table and have equal bespoke rules that make them unique, not overpowered, but unique and, and different than what you see from the space Marine side. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there was one thing I, I really, I was really hoping we could get to here, and hopefully we've we've kind of talked to death the space marine side. There's only so much my uh, <laughs> my traitor my tra- I don't want to call it traitor because Magnus did nothing wrong, but uh, of course. I my my inner you know Zinch heart can take here. So the, the topic of a concern that I've seen is go first win, right? The, whoever goes first yeah. wins. So the first turn thing, it's been talked to death. They obviously pointed out that there are issues with even in the the statistics it's been this thing that's been kind of floating around like yeah there is an issue with going first um there are some folks who kind of feel like you know what that's if you don't design your army for going first that's kind of on you you know i i kind of look at this and i realize you know not every army has the ability to design themselves to not go first and i think that's probably where some people might disagree but i look at Thousand Sons are a good example. I think they can not go first. I think they they have the tools to put stuff in deep strike. To um, they have things that let them jump across the board, things like that. But I don't think things like yeah, Space Marines maybe have the same kind of answers. Um, yeah. And I look at it across the board, and I realize you know there are armies that can put you. Well, let me let me boil it down this way. The way I look at this. If you have the structure of the game such that let's let's think about chess. The game is fundamentally in the same realm as chess. All right. It is a chess match. We have different rules. There's semantics. If the first player who makes a move gets to say, hey, you know what? I take 25% of your army off the table before you even get a chance to even do anything, then what you fundamentally have done is said, okay. Because I'm going second, I get to play with 25% less of my army. And so that's not fair to the person who's going second. And there's no amount of terrain rules. There's no amount of deep strike and reserve rules that can make that work so that it balances out uh, the stats of what were the actual proven mathematical um, disadvantage you have for going second. So I think... The, the way I look at this is until they get serious about maybe adopting something like how Kill Team uh, resolves their turns, where people go, you know, alternating moving units, shooting units, psychic powers, things like that, or they, you know, maybe think about something like how the new Apocalypse rules apply damage, where you just you do everything and then at the bottom of the round you apply the damage. Until they get serious about something like that, I don't think that problem goes away. I think it still remains and and. I don't know. Am I am I wrong, Mike? So, not necessarily. I, I think that, I don't think they're gonna do a 
grand sort of reimagining yeah. of how damage is resolved at this point. They had that opportunity whenever the new edition came out. They did not bite on that. Yeah, um, let me be no. fair. Like I'm not I'm not trying to say that I, there's a clear difference between what I think needs to happen and what is rea- like what's realistic that GW is yeah. actually going to do. I don't think it's realistic that they're going to try to go down that road. But I think when I look at this, I re- you know, my opinion is until I see them start to go that route, I don't think they're serious about fixing this problem. I think they're just going to try and band-aid this. Yeah. Um so the problem you're referring to has existed as long as I've played the game. Uh, I I don't think that they're ever every war game has that issue to a certain extent even in an alternating system well if I'm we're alternating all I have to do is activate my biggest baddest unit and all if all if all I have to do is knock out your biggest baddest unit so for instance let's say I have a unit that can mathematically kill Magnus in a single turn well it's the same equation happening again it's just now we've built our armies in a different way in order to capitalize on whatever the new meta is or the, what the rules are. And so historically, I've what I found is most people who play at a competitive level tend to build for the alpha strike, the ability to inflict as much damage as possible. And so what you will see there is that because they have specialized so much in applying as much damage as possible, as efficiently as possible, they aren't equipped to deal with the return. Um, Even so if you go first, you win. If you don't go first, well, I wasn't built to go second, so I lose. Uh, the and there are the degrees of that, of course. Like, for instance, the Raven Guard list was very potent because it had the survival tools built in, so you didn't have to worry about your uh, survivability because it was baked into your army. Which you, we've seen armies that have those rules that allowed them to sort of have their cake and eat it too, uh, had those rules taken away or adjusted in ways that make them not as survivable. So you do have to make choices when you're designing your list. Um, so my solution to that has always been the effectively bringing a blade of armor for my army, not like units occultists or screeners, any of that stuff. Cause I think that's the, the yeah, you're the, talking like rhinos. Yeah, so like things that rhinos vehicles, things that your opponent will likely have enough firepower to kill one or two of your rhinos or whatever your vehicle is. But because of the weapons that are good at killing those aren't necessarily as valuable as weapons that are good at killing infantry and a lot of the metas, you wind up in a position where, okay, you killed Rhino. Well, the guys inside are still perfectly alive and are now in a position where they can actually do their job. Um, And so I think the big thing is if you build with the assumption that you're going to go second, then you'll be in a position to, if you go first, great. Now I can rush across the battlefield and I can kill 20% of my opponent's army and haha, now he's on the back foot. But if you fight on the assumption that, okay, well, I'm going to have to eat 2,000 points worth of whatever he can throw across 24 inches of no man's land, then you'll be in a much better position to uh, 
win in those scenarios where you do wind up going second. Uh, the other thing that, again, I think Games Workshop is paying attention, uh, finally, to how tournament match play is being played, is we've seen sort of nerfs to the Alpha Strike. So, for instance, a good example in this codex is that the Thunderfire Cannon, the bane of lists, last edition, uh, is still very good. It has the ground um, tremor shells, and it gets a ton of shots, and it has ridiculous range, and it's a very excellent unit. However, in previous editions, the Thunderfire Cannon had an answer for everything. You could use it to kill vehicles, you could use it against heavy infantry, you could use it against light infantry. Now it's effectively as a space marine wyvern that it's good at killing infantry and that's it unless you want to use the trimmer shell on something um and so i think that again they're forcing people who want to build competitive lists to make hard choices because now if you want that sort of Best of both worlds, well, you have the web, the whirlwind, but it doesn't have tremor shells. And well, if you want to get the full benefit of the whirlwind, you want to bring a land speeder because it lets you do, like, I think, a reroll hits or something. Uh, and so I think we're going to see the lists toned down so that the only units that are really capable of doing those ridiculous alpha strikes for everything hits, everything wounds are core units, but core units are at their core more vulnerable than the vehicle based uh, alpha strikes, or they um, don't necessarily have the ability to do just whatever they want on a battlefield. Um, and so I think that the Alpha Strike will always be a thing. Uh, if you build to Alpha Strike, you should be capable of doing it. Um, I just think that they have taken pains to sort of blunt it somewhat, this edition, uh, with the various rules that they put out. And uh, with it's a design choice if you want to yeah. be susceptible to that type of thing. Well, I th they probably will see better, um, better results if they address some of the mission rewards that you have. Yeah. Uh, so you incentivize, incentivize people not to alpha strike. Um, and really that just focuses on objective holding and things of that nature. Um, mm -hmm. Even though alpha strike kind of can play into that, a lot of the units, the thing they don't have, in, or they all have in common is that a lot of them are not objective secure. And a lot of the heavy, you know, those alpha strike type units, um, you know, they, Yes, you can load up on them, and yes, you put your opponent on the back foot. But um, they, what they, the way they really operate is they eliminate opposition so that your uh, your other units can go and hold those objectives. But if you focus on more tanky, holding objective type stuff, mobility, those kinds of things, then you know, it, as long as you can reward those things without having some kind of dumb, you know, repercussion like um, what was it, abhor the witch or whatever those secondaries yeah. are. I think, you know, I look at the I look at the missions and I say, okay, there is a degree that they can improve this, but there's a ceiling on how far that can go. Yeah, um, and it can get to a point like even the ITC missions were to a point where I had faith in my mission in my matchups that I could generally have a chance in almost any game that I went to play if I had my list configured right. 
I don't think that's the case with these missions out of the book. And I don't, even the GT missions that we see or the, the competitive packet, I don't think that's the case yet. I do think they're going to get there, but I don't think we're going to see that this year. Uh, I think yeah. probably next year they're going to need a year of data. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they're learning those lessons right now. So I would look for next year's mission packet to be more of the time where that kind of issue starts to balance out. And maybe, you know, maybe you don't have to get quite as, uh, and maybe it's not the right term for it, but defensive uh, with your list yeah. so that you don't have to account for that so much. But yeah. in any uh, case, yeah. One one last thing on missions, though. The other thing to keep in mind is that being tabled is no longer an auto loss. So as long as you get your secondaries and score well, it's possible that your opponent could still lose the game, even if you get completely wiped. Yep. Yep, that is true. Well, in in other news, the uh, for folks uh, unlike myself who blundered and did not keep up with the uh, the release schedule here. Um, you know, as much as I wanted to blame GW's marketing, uh, the Fury of Magnus came out. Uh, so on the fluff side of things, we now have an idea of where Magnus was during the um, uh, during the Siege of Terra. Uh, I basically sat down the other night to read this thing, and I basically <laughs> read the thing cover to cover uh, until about 3 a.m. Uh, because I couldn't put it down. It was fascinating. Uh, I will say, if you were planning on getting to this book, you should put aside some funds, pre-order it, whatever you can. This book is amazing. It is on the same level as A Thousand Suns in terms of the quality of what the content is that's in it. Um, I'm I'm not sure is it, it's as well-written and structured as The Thousand Suns novel was, uh, because, I mean, hands down, I think most people would think that's one of the best books in the entire Horus Harris series series. Uh, but on that, on that side, I think it's worthy of being in that upper, you know, that top tier of uh, novels uh, that are out there. So I won't give any spoilers away. Uh, I will say that, you know, if you love the thousand sons, you'll probably love them even more. If you love Magnus, you'll probably love Magnus even more after reading this um, space wolf players probably won't be very happy uh, Imperium players probably won't be very happy after reading some of this. Uh, so there is a little bit of uh, vindication in here, but without getting the, without getting into the details and giving anything away, it's worthy of the read. It's worthy of picking up and pre-ordering. And uh, we'll just say that. Yeah, no, it's fine. They just got in the codex anyways. So. Yeah, that's right. So uh, <laughs> what do we forget, Mike? I mean, there there are so many things, so so very many things. But uh, I'm, there's one thing that we can't forget. No, we can't forget this thing. No. Uh, is, is that Magnus did nothing wrong? Yeah, Magnus did nothing wrong. We have to hold that truth deep in our hearts. Yep.